support group for alien abductees on Patreon. Now here's your host, Angela Joyner. All right, hello. This is Angela Joyner, and we're coming to you from WPRN FM 105.5 and UFOParanormalRadioNetwork.com. You're welcome to join us in the Pal Talk Virtual Auditorium. That's what everybody around here calls it. I call it the Pal Talk Chat Room, but no matter. You can get download instructions if you don't have it already at AngelaJoiner.com, and it's A N G E L I A J O I N E R.com. Click on the Texas flag at the top of the page, and that will take you to the instructions for Pal Talk. All right. Um, really, my guest tonight doesn't need an in- introduction to all my regular listeners, but um, in case you're new, I'll tell you that tonight we're going to talk with Frank Warren of UFO Chronicles, and uh, Frank is uh, well-known in the UFO community stuff for about three decades now. He's a good friend of mine. He co-hosts with me sometimes, and when I'm away, he takes over my seat, and I appreciate him so much. Now, um, if you've never been to his website, you need to look at it. It's a wealth of information as as far as uh, current events as well as historical events, and that's at www.theufochronicles.com. Um, and he also welcomes anyone to share experiences there, and uh, he's also uh, he puts up articles from from other ufologists and that sort of thing. And uh, he's just a great all-around guy. Thanks for being on with me, Frank. It's always good to be here, Ange. And uh, uh, my seat's cold. Your your seat's always warmer when I host. So. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying I have a warm seat? <laughs> yes, you have a warm seat. Yeah. Look, I'm already I'm already in a weird mood tonight. Anyway, I, I had a heck of a day today, Frank, and uh, well, I, I I was writing what uh, what should have been uh, just a simple little murder story, and it uh, turned into a six or seven hour ordeal and frustrated me to no end. <laughs> That's all a simple murder story. That's almost an oxymoron. <laughs> well, you know, when you've written a few of those, they just you just kind of go, well, oh, here's another one. Oh, I I didn't know you were covering stories like that. How interesting! Oh my goodness, they give me all kinds. I write about everything from uh, what? Uh, let's see, dog therapy to vegetable <laughs> to. Um, murders to yeah, just you just you wouldn't believe it. Education sometimes even. <laughs> huh. Well, perhaps one day all those will get melded into one. That the dog therapist came in, killed the neighbor, and and then went to school and, and ate vegetables. <laughs> and ate vegetables for all the way yeah, for snacks. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I tell you, it has just really been a weird day for me. Anyway, and uh, anyway, but I always look forward to. To, uh, visiting with you, Frank, and and um, there's a lot of people have been waiting for you to to come back with us, and uh, just for anybody that 
doesn't have a, a little bit of background here. We're going to talk about Oregon tonight, and uh, at least we are this first half. And if you didn't know, I thought I saw something with my husband in Oregon that just I couldn't explain. So uh, it looked like a craft on the ground. And I've done a few shows on Oregon. One uh, of the most compelling was with uh, Jamie McDowell. And she described her whole experience with uh, orbs that uh, interacted with her in some way or even knocked her down and took her uh, camera offline and a uh, few other things. If uh, you want to uh, hear those past shows, anybody's welcome to go to the archives at uh, UFO Paranormal Radio Network, and you can find them there. Um, this was all uh, with uh, Oregon Bob. And that's what we started out calling him, but, you know, we did give his full name. He came on with us, too, at one time, uh, Bob Pitchell. And uh, that's where he lives, in Oregon. So uh, I, I didn't really know what to do. I started calling Frank right after I returned home in September of 2008. Isn't that right, Frank? That's about right, yeah. And so I kind of drug him into the whole thing. <laughs> Frank... What, what do you think about this? And I, I started telling him about what I'd seen, and I described it as a, a, um, a kind of an oval uh, shape. It was sort of a gunmetal steel, three windows like um, you would see protruding windows um, like in the roof of a house would be like a skylight. And then some kind of crazy-looking octopus-like legs that were um, a much blacker color, a real dark color. But I couldn't, under, I couldn't really tell if that, that was really the bottom of the thing or if that was something, you know, sitting in front of it. It was some kind of uh, exposed tree roots or, or what it was. But, boy, was this thing lit up. I saw it, the light was definitely coming from the left and uh, illuminating it, although at first I thought the light was coming from inside the thing. So um, anyway, uh, Frank got interested, and, and he started uh, uh, talking with Bob, and uh, I think he's talked to all of the witnesses now in Oregon. And uh, we had a very uh, generous person, my uh, friend Glenn, that... Uh, donated some money so that Frank and uh, Johnny Anonymous from Above Top Secret could go there and stay for a week and see what they could see. So uh, Johnny and uh, Frank were on about two months ago, I think, and gave us a kind of a little preliminary, but Frank, you didn't really want to answer my questions then, did you? Actually, I didn't have a problem with it. Johnny uh, didn't want to, and you know, prior to that show, uh, he had told me, he says, you know, uh, it, w when we went out and did the investigation, that was the first half of it. And then we have to come back and analyze all the material. And then there were still uh, some things that weren't finished. I mean, and quite frankly, the, the investigation is actually still ongoing. There are still things that we are working on, uh, and there's still questions that we have that, that weren't answered. Um, so he told me prior to the show, he said, well, look, if, there's either, if either one of us feel uncomfortable about 
uh, talking about something, or if we feel we're jumping the gun, let's just go with the other's lead. And I said, that's fine. And then he, did, he didn't want to talk about certain aspects that were ongoing, and I respected that. And, you know, and of course, you know, nobody wanted to hear that. Everybody wanted to hear it, you know, what was going on at that time. But we opted not to. We agreed to do that, uh, you know, earlier on. And uh, Now, Johnny, uh, we tried to get Johnny here tonight, but he is working on some new things with ATS, and he's also involved in another investigation, and he couldn't be here. But, uh, but we can talk about everything tonight, no big deal. Well, we tried to get him on last Friday night, too, but, oh, that was Thanksgiving weekend, wasn't it? Well, that's where I lost a week. <laughs> I thought when we <laughs> yeah. did agree to that, uh, I I thought we had an extra week in there, and then you reminded me, well, because we had a house loan. Okay. Which turned so, out great. Uh, I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. So Johnny just ditched us, didn't he? He did ditch us, yes. Shame on him. We'll have to get back on him on that. My uh, goodness. Okay, so uh, go, go ahead. Let me say real quick, so I want to extend my great thanks to Glenn and uh, the the uh, the entire report, which is rather lengthy, is almost finished, and uh, you and Glenn, of course, will uh, will have copies of that. And then we will have a public version of that uh, at the UFO Chronicles and your site as well. So. Uh, it, it's all coming, and it's very, very interesting. All right. Well, that's fine. Now, um, you, when did you go up there? We left the tail end of July. I think it was, uh, I believe it was the 29th. It was a Thursday. And then we came back. Uh, we were gone for about eight days. We got back uh, early Saturday morning. So we were out. Uh, left Thursday, came back late Saturday morning. So figure a good solid week we were up there. All righty. Tell us what happened. Well, I, I think we need to back up just a little bit. Now, uh, you <laughs> described what you saw, and I believe that we have an explanation for that. We've got evidence for, for what you saw, and we have evidence uh, for a lot of things that went on. Unfortunately... Mm -hmm. Uh, it, I, and I'll have to preface the whole thing that, remember, we were only up there for seven or eight days doing this investigation. Um, you know, we've got uh, the events that, uh, that a good majority of the witnesses uh, have recounted to us have taken place over a span of years. So anything that I might say is in reference to the eight days that we spent uh, in there. And, uh, you know, there's certain things that I don't feel that we can uh, give definitive answers to because because that has gone on so long. I can only speak to the events or lack of that happened during that time, and I can explain some of the things that people were seeing. Uh, is that the end all? Uh, I can't say that for 100%, because, again, this was just, we were there just for a little brief snippet of time. But going back to what you saw, I'm going to back up just a little bit, and it, I think it's really important um, to describe the scenario, and this is something that there's no argument on with anybody that's been up there. Now, I'm, I live in Northern California. I've, I'm no stranger to the woods. I've lived in Texas and uh, no stranger to the woods there. Um, one thing that we've all agreed on, everybody that's been there and everybody that I've talked to that's been there, these forests where the witnesses were, were claiming to see these sightings, is uh, it's number one, it is dark. If you've ever been in a cave, that's how you could describe it. Uh, and it's eerily quiet. Um, it's abnormally so. 
for, for what you would think being in the forest. I mean, I've never been in a forest where you don't hear bugs or crickets or something flying around up until I went up to uh, these forests up in Oregon. And I'm sure you agree with that, right, Ange? And, and Randall, who's the avid hunter, uh, agrees with that, correct? Right, yes. It, it is pitch black in that that forest. You, you know, you could almost uh, liken it to be in a cavern or something. I mean, it's just when I was walking down the road, you know, Randall would be behind me or something. Then I would stop. He'd flat run into me. He couldn't see me. Exactly. The, the, the first night that we went out, uh, which was Friday, the next day. We got in late Thursday evening, and then we had a meet-and-greet with Bob, and, and uh, we drove all day, got there, and we got a few hours sleep, uh, and then went out the following night. Well, we actually went out during the day to what we called the Angie spot. Uh, I wanted to inspect the area prior to night. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to have a disadvantage of going there at night. Uh, you know, I wanted to see everything during the daylight, which is what we did first. But I'm going to digress just a little bit. Uh, going back at night, uh, that first time, it was like putting my foot in water. I, you're, it's so dark. I mean, you literally put your foot out in front of you to make sure you're not running off the road or, or, or falling in a ditch or, or whatever. I mean, that's how dark it is. It is. And, and I, I really feel, in hindsight, now that we've done the investigation, this plays into what a lot of people were seeing. Um, and in fact, there, uh, one of the conventional explanations uh, uh, is called uh, the kinetic effect. That was uh, uh, a psychologist actually uh, did some experimentation with this back in the early 20th century. And I personally uh, experienced that myself with some of the lights. And, and basically, what happens when you're in this dark environment and you do, the, your eyes perceive movement when you have a point of reference uh, based on the moving object. When you don't have a point of reference and you see a light, in this instance, for example, in the canopy of the trees, you can stare at that light and it will move. Now, I can swear to you that, for example, one night we broke up into teams, uh, Johnny and Vince, Vince being one of the other witnesses, a lifelong friend of uh, Bob Pitchell's. Uh, they were in a static location at the Angie site, and then we were, uh, myself, Nathan, another witness, and Bob, uh, we were trolling, for lack of a better word, and uh, we were moving, and then we came up, came up to these uh, uh, radio tower lights. Well, I'm here to tell you, seeing that red light through the canopy, uh, and you see it by itself, so it looks very, very eerie, you know, to see this one red light without seeing the radio tower. But I stared at that light, and I could swear to you it moved. Not only it didn't move just a little bit, it moved all over the place. Now, we were all, we were all armed with cameras, and the minute I put the camera on it, of course, it's not moving. It's, it's a static object, and then we, we drove a little bit further, and then, of course, you could see the radio tower. But this is it's an optical illusion, and there has been empirical evidence uh, 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 cold from this, from experimentation that was done in the early part of the 20th century. And what this psychologist by the name of Sharif did, he would put three or more people in a darkened room and put a, a, uh, put a little dot of light on the wall and have people watch it, and then people would see it move. And, of course, obviously it's not moving. Then as the second experiment or an add-on to that experiment, he would ask what direction it's moving. Usually the first person that spoke 
uh, if, for example, if they said, well, it's moving up and towards the right, then the collective would agree with that. A week later or so, or days later, they would come in and, and, uh, and have people go in individually, and then they would go back to the group philosophy or, or the suggestion of the first person that the light moved up and to the right. And, of course, again, it was a static light. Right. Uh, I personally experienced that in that forest, and so did Johnny, and I believe this explains much of what some of the witnesses were seeing in terms of light. Um, and it is sort of a psychological effect. Well, it's it, not that you're lying. <laughs> it's that no. it appears that way. No, no. I, I, look, it happened to me. I, I can t In fact, so much so, I actually took my laser that I had with me when we got out of the car the first time, and I asked Nathan, I said, I'm going to hold the laser on that light because I'm seeing it move, and I'm going to keep the laser on the light. And I asked Nathan, I said, is this laser moving? That's, that's how much uh, I felt it was moving. I mean, I know it's not moving, but I'm seeing it move. Then I would put the camera up to my eye. Uh, you know, we had night, the, uh, uh, the, the lighter night vision cameras, not the, you know, not the, the very expensive ones. And, uh, and, of course, it's not moving at all. Then we drove a little bit down, and then we could see the whole tower, and I could see the source of the light. Um, but the point is, that optical illusion, without a point of reference, when, when we were just looking in the dark canopy, uh, it just appeared to be moving. The other uh, aspect of uh, uh, kinetic effect and or illusory movement is when the tree branches would move and then you would see little glimpses of light close, uh, close to each other, which would give the appearance of movement. Uh, wow. We saw that a lot. So uh, in terms of the, the lights that we're seeing in the, uh, through the canopies, the bulk of that... Uh, in my opinion, during that eight-day eight stay, uh, could be explained in that manner. Now, to your sight, in, in fact, I'm looking, I have in front of me the drawing that, uh, or the graphic that you had made with the three windows in it. Yeah, that was by my friend Taldor. Okay. He's in and, the chat room here. And I also have the hand drawing that you did with the tentacle-looking things. Right. Okay. And if you went back prior to the show, a couple of days ago, I listened to one of the interviews where you described the color uh, of the top of the, this thing. You described it as being gunmetal in color. Mm -hmm. it, in other words, basically being, you know, it's like a, a metal object. A gray color. Right. Mm -hmm. the, the, the first day that we, went, uh, that we went out on Friday, during the day, I asked Bob point blank, I says, where were you standing? Uh, when this occurred. And he says, I'm pretty sure we, we, we went around that bend, which you've seen the satellite shot of, mm -hmm. and, and we stopped shortly after coming out of, out of the, this hairpin curve. And he says, I'm pretty sure we were standing here. Now, right below that spot, there are no houses. There, there's nothing there but woods. Further out, there's a little open area. And we went down with equipment in tow. Uh, you know, we tested for radiation. We took dirt samples. We, you know, we did the whole Marianne uh, right there down below that spot, assuming that that was the case. Uh, later in the week, in the evening, when uh, Johnny had asked Bob again specifically where the spot was, and uh, at that point in time, Bob said it was further, well, he actually said it was where he was parked at that moment, which was more towards the left or the east, which puts you right above uh, three or four houses. Now, 
prior to going uh, to Oregon, I was unaware that there were any houses in that vicinity at all where, where you had your sighting. Uh, it, it, quite frankly, I didn't, think it were, I didn't think there were any houses anywhere. Uh, unbeknownst to me, until I got there, there were actually houses from that spot. You could literally throw, you could pick up a rock from the road, throw it twice, and hit a house. Yeah, I did know there were houses there because when we came on out of that logging road and turned back to the right, you know, we looked at where the lights were, and and Bob showed us, well, you know, and this is a house, and that lights a house, and blah blah blah. Right. Well, for me, it took us a while to figure out which houses are which, because when you make that hairpin turn to go on the main road, like you're talking about, mm -hmm. I got a little bit turned around. Because it just seemed so long, I wasn't sure that those were the houses that we were seeing from the road. But during, we actually went back, uh, John and I went back by ourselves and we interviewed uh, one of the neighbors uh, that owned the house below to see if anything odd had been happening. He'd been there for, I think he said, seven, eight, nine years or something. And it just so happens he happened to be talking to the neighbor in the other house. And he was in earshot of us while we were asking the questions. Now, uh, the reason that I bring up the houses, obviously, is because there's conventional lights down below. When we went back that evening, that Friday evening, I could see the, the porch lights because now I had a point of reference from the road, not, not from going down. I didn't quite, I wasn't, you know, when we did go back before and see the houses on the main road, I didn't know for sure that those were the same ones that we were seeing. Uh, right. I, did, I, I didn't realize that until a couple of days later. But in any event, uh, we've since heavily photographed the area. I've got satellite shots, etc. There happens to be an outbuilding. Uh, in, in, in fact, since I've talked to you and sent you some of these earlier photos, there's an outbuilding beyond the second house that has three windows in it. Uh, it has uh, a, a, a grayish roof. I'm, it's either corrugated tin and or gray asphalt shingles. And mm -hmm. uh, off to the left of it, there is this thing, and I have no idea what it is. We have photographs of it, but it looks very similar to what you drew of the, these tentacles. And, right. and it was hanging. Uh, I, it, the first thing that came to mind was like a huge pepper. You know how people dry peppers? Except this thing would be huge. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, it's pure speculation, but it, it looks, the, the photograph of this object looks very similar to what you, what you drew. Now, this, this one particular outbuilding is set the, uh, based on that spot uh, above uh, uh, the, uh, where we had the, uh, the critter cam. Um, at that particular angle, uh, the, the outbuilding is a little bit further than where the house is, so if a light was on in that house, it would cascade onto this outbuilding. Now, you had mentioned early uh, in, in one of the first interviews that we did uh, that, you, that you, like the light kind of, it was like a door shutting down. Remember that's that? How it, that's how it went off to me and to Randall. It looked like it went off just like from top to bottom. To bottom. Boom, in, in retrospect, what I was thinking, and again, this is an old house that's out there. What that seemed to me is if somebody was pulling a shade down, or a garage uh, door, or something, or a garage door. But the the where this one outbuilding sits, and there's more than one outbuilding, but this one outbuilding has the three windows in. In fact, I'm looking at a picture of them side by side, and they look very similar, right to the trees that you have drawn around them. Mm -hmm. um, 
and then again the the in, in perspective to where the where the house is. If there were lights on in the main house, and if they did have uh, you know a pull pull shade, that would explain the light that you saw. And then of course you've got three windows in the in the uh, outbuilding. You've got three windows in your drawing, and then uh, now this this hanging thing wasn't on that shed. We saw that that was actually on the uh, patio of the main house. But mm -hmm. it looks exactly like what you drew in your initial drawing. And I don't know what that is. But All those long, leggy-looking things. Exactly. Uh, and, of course, there were, uh, the, the, there were exposed uh, tree roots, which also could explain that. But the, this thing that was hanging in, uh, you know, off the back deck was eerily similar to your drawing. And uh, you know, the evidence to me... Uh, is supports the notion that that's what you saw. However, now the the leggy things to me, uh, the tentacle things to me appeared that they were more like on the ground, like coming down from the thing, but also spread out on the ground. Did it look that way? No, this this particular thing was hanging off the uh, the awning that was attached to the house. And the but, whole thing seemed to be in a clearing. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's that's how this one house, uh, or, I mean, outbuilding uh, appears in the photograph. Also, bear in mind, we were talking a little about two years difference, give or take a few months. And there's some pines down there, uh, some saplings that, uh, when we were there, that have grown up a little bit. We didn't have the view that you did at the time. Uh, in fact, I checked. I've got. I don't have the notes in front of me, but I actually checked the uh, the growth rate per year of these little saplings, and they grow pretty fast. So you had a better view uh, than we did when, when you, you were there. But I think what's more important is the stage. This, I had the benefit of going there during the daytime. Uh, you went there. Your, your very first time there was at night. Uh, and, of course, you know, Bob went out and made a presentation based on what he was seeing. And, and you and I, as, as we both know, you know, Bob has become a good friend. Uh, what the some of the things that he was see, seeing were quite phenomenal, uh, you know, based on the anecdotes. And then you walk into this strange environment. It just sets the stage for what we call this kinetic effect. Uh, and I personally believe, based on the evidence after the investigation, that's what you saw. Okay. Not what we want to hear, but that's what the evidence points to. I know, I know. I think I saw something unexplained. I think it was a craft on the ground, and you think I saw a house. <laughs> well, and you know, the um, you sent me uh, like a Google... Uh, satellite shot. Yeah, a satellite shot with the road kind of laid over it. And you remember I had uh, Randall look at that with me. And uh, he has a better memory of that road than I do because he said, well, where's the 90 and where's the L? And then you sent us a, a larger uh, photo of the same thing, and we were looking at that, and, and we couldn't really, we couldn't pinpoint where we were on that map. It was just, it, it was difficult because, you know, we were there in the middle of the night, and uh, you're trying to judge, you know, okay, how far do you think we went from the 90 in the road before we stopped or from the L in the road or whatever it is? And here you yeah. are driving along at, what, 10 miles, 15 miles an hour, barely? And we just couldn't calculate it. 
No, I couldn't either, uh, uh, quite frankly. I did the satellite research on Bob's computer that first day because I, had, I knew there were houses below, and I knew when we went, we went back out to that hairpin turn on the main road, and we saw those houses, but at that time I did not know that those were the ones right below the road where you had your sighting I, you, because you get uh, disoriented. You, you know, you had to go quite a ways out before you, you know, had that turn back on the main road to go back to Bob's house. Mm-hmm. And you get, it's confusing. I, I, I could, that first go-round, there's no way that, that I would know that those were the houses. I had to do some work to, to discern that those were the houses, uh, you know, directly below us. And it wouldn't, even looking at the satellite, like you, I had no clue that was it. I, it, it took a lot of work to, to figure that out, exactly where we were. Uh, and then, of course, as the days progressed, we actually went down and interviewed, uh, uh, interviewed the neighbors and so forth and so on. Uh, something else, and, and you know that I hate to use the term paranormal, but I will throw this out there because it's, it's, it's a matter of fact. Um, we drove up this one driveway. And again, I didn't know what houses were what at the time. I, I figured the first house would be the closest in proximity to where you were standing, so I thought, okay, this has got to be the house that you would see most of the conventional lights on first. So we drove up to this house. We went right past the neighbor who was giving us the evil eye on his property. He owns that house, which is vacant. And we drove up in there, and we're now we're boxed in. And this guy... Uh, he didn't like the idea that some Californians with California plates drove up on his property. Didn't say a word to him, and you know we're up up in the back there. Anyway, we get out, we take some photographs, and we come back down. And again, this guy's looking at us like, you know, what the hell are you doing there? And uh, Johnny was driving. We stopped the car, and Johnny got out real quick, uh, quick thinking, uh, played dumb. Uh, we were we acted as if we were looking for different pieces of real estate and houses and whatnot, and chatted with him a little bit, uh, you know, to where he was friendly and, and realized that we weren't a threat or anything, and started to walk off and pulled a little Columbo and then asked if uh, uh, had mentioned that there was a friend of ours that uh, didn't say anything about an investigation or whatnot, which which I would have done, but in any event. Uh, asked about if there was any unusual activity, mentioned UFOs, that kind of thing, and the guy laughed and made a reference to peyote or whatever. Um, <laughs> but, he, but he did tell us that the couple that lived in that house that we just left had been murdered. It was a murder-suicide. Oh, my God. And uh, I, I say this because it's a matter of fact. It did, in fact, happen. And we did experience in another location... Uh, we had a paranormal experience, and so I, I don't think these two things are connected, but it's interesting nonetheless. And of All course, right. it is, it's right below where Bob had uh, said that he had many ex- different experiences, but I thought I would throw that out there. And he said, you know, nobody will rent the house, nobody will buy the house because of the fact that these people were, you know, it was a murder-suicide. And, and, and the guy's just letting the house go to pieces, sadly. So. My goodness. Well, so what was your paranormal experience? Tell us about that. Well, that happened later in the week. We, uh, you know, the first few days, as you know the road, we traversed the road. We tried different things. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, Bob was very enthusiastic. He was hoping that we were going to have some sort of event or experience. I'm sad to say it didn't happen. Uh, 
but you know he he was hoping well, that a UFO would, experience didn't happen it, exactly and uh, so we had gone up that road which as you know is is quite a ways on this logging road and it's you know it's filled with ruts and holes and in fact I think we drove across some of the tops of Volkswagens at times um but you know we try we we stayed static uh we stayed in one location at one point we we trolled at, at other times we did both sometimes we would move and stop you know we did this six ways to sunday and uh it finally johnny made the suggestion that we it, it, was there another location that where we could get higher and get away from the static lights uh you know conventional lights porch lights outbuildings that kind of thing and Bob said there was, in fact, a, a place that we could go where he had had experiences. And so uh, the next day, we made the, uh, the trek out to this particular location. And as you know, and as regular listeners know, that you know, Bob, Bob's old van is, is not in the best condition. No, uh, it is in not. It wasn't in good condition when you were there, and it was much worse when we were there. No, I couldn't even uh, get out of the thing. Well, in any event, we, had, we literally had to tow him uh, up the hill, there was, it was such a grade, we had to tow him a better part of the way up another logging road to get to the top of this place. Anyway, we get there, beautiful, beautiful location. Uh, you had a panoramic view, uh, we're, we're, we're away from uh, conventional lights, uh, they're down below us, down in the valley. And we set up. We set up all the equipment uh, that we were using that night. Uh, you could see satellites going over clearly. I mean, it was just absolutely beautiful. Anyway, uh, we had finished setting up equipment, and we were gathered around the passenger side of Bob's van. Uh, Bob was sitting with his back up against the door, uh, the passenger door. I was sitting to his left by a few feet, kind of uh, even with the front bumper. Johnny was standing up monitoring equipment uh, in front of both of us. It was like a tripod. He was, he was uh, maybe four or five feet to my left. Vince was sitting in the uh, driver's seat of the van. Now, Vince, uh, in each instance, the night that any of the nights that Vince was with us and we were in one location, uh, it was not uncommon for him to take a walk here or there, go smoke a cigarette or that kind of thing, or just, just check out and see if he could see anything on his own away mm -hmm. from the group. Um, anyway, Johnny, uh, we hear a noise, which I just presumed was somebody had their hand in their pocket, and it sounded like uh, coin change to me, somebody jingling change in their in their pocket. Yeah. And Johnny asked me, he says, well, where's Vince? And because I heard him right over my shoulder, I pointed with my right hand to my right, looking at him, I said, he's right here, uh, which would put him about in front of the van, maybe by five or six feet. And Johnny paused. He looked at me, and he looked over in the van, and he could see Vince sitting in the van. And he says, well, no, he's not. He's right there. And almost simultaneously, Vince spoke up, and he says, no, I'm right here in the van. Now, the minute that that happened... I got a shot of adrenaline, and every hair on my body stood up because I knew somebody was right over my right shoulder. Uh, I didn't, didn't even think twice about it. I just presumed it was Vince because I hear this jingling of coin change. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, we all stood up real quick. We moved to where we heard the sound, and then we moved over to the tree line, which we just presumed whatever it was since we couldn't see it, uh, and we were on the opposite side, moved away from us. 
and we you know we went up and down the road looking in the tree line we stopped we were you know maybe it was a critter of some sort you know we didn't know what it was uh now we had audio rolling at that point we were recording and then okay. when we we went back and listened to the recording uh it actually sounded, I was able to duplicate the sound. I, I did have a pocket full of change myself, so I took my coin change out, and I, I held one hand above the other by about 8 or 10 inches, and I dropped the coin change from one hand to the other, and that's exactly what it sounded like. Now, when we got back and we started analyzing audio and video and this, this thing and that and the other, uh, unbeknownst to us at the time, that noise had actually appeared all around us. Uh, we picked it up on on the recordings for prob somewhere between 45 minutes to an hour. And, but none of you heard it. Actually, Johnny did mention that night that he thought he did hear it earlier. Uh, I didn't hear it at all. The only, I only heard it once. But when when I went back and listened to the audio tape, it was certainly the same noise. Now, we did a little bit of research on that specific noise, and Johnny was the first one to discover that there are other paranormal cases, specifically ghost and or poltergeist cases, where that noise has occurred. By the way, uh, this occurred while Bob was recounting experiences in his childhood uh, in fact, he was talking about uh, demonic, uh, demonic possession and this kind of thing. Uh, and during that conversation uh, is when the noise was most prevalent. Well, my goodness, were you I the only that. one that got the heebie-jeebies, or did everybody? No, we all, no, 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 we all got the heebie-jeebies. I got <laughs> but I heard it was so close to me, I didn't give it a second thought. I knew it was Vince because it, it was a noise I could associate with. It was coin change. And it had to be Vince, because everybody else was in front of me. Uh, you know, and the minute that I, when Vince spoke up and I knew he was in the driver's seat, instant shot of adrenaline. And, you know, what is this? But everyone heard it that one time? I, I'm not sure if Vince heard it because he was in the van, but okay. uh, Bob, Johnny, and I did. You know. Okay. And you say that uh, it happened while Bob was telling a story about uh, possession by demons? Yes. He, Bob has had uh, some interesting experiences early in life. So and that would I, even creep you out more. Yes. Yes. It, it, you, you could insert that scene into The Exorcist somewhere. It was, it was a okay. little spooky. <laughs> so was there ever a uh, concrete explanation for what that was in a forest no. that sounded like coin jingling? No. We have no explanation of what that noise was uh, other than the fact that, uh, that we have become aware of other cases where people have described the same noise. And those cases have either been ghost and or paranormal or, uh, or poltergeist cases, rather, uh, which, you know. Well, do I, you think I, anybody could have been out there in the woods just trying no. to spook you? No. No. That, that noise, uh, you know, we were actually in the middle of this long, straight road. We were at the very uh, the top of this, and we, you, you could see anybody coming or going. And although it wasn't as dark, it was more open than the canopy that, you know, that you were on, um, you could hear anybody or anything coming from a good ways away just based on our location. But, uh, and again, the noise... It wasn't low. It wasn't high. 
initially it just seemed to me that it was somebody had their hands in their pocket and was just jingling change in their uh, you know in their pants pocket while they were walking. Uh, well, although I would have would have heard footfalls, but uh, you know, it, as if somebody was standing there just not thinking about it and jingling their coin change, and it was right over my shoulder, and I just presumed it was Vince uh, because Bob and Johnny were in front of me. Right. Um, so that was that was a eerie little thing, and it's unexplainable. I, you know, uh, we we have no explanation for what that was. And then come to find out uh, in in the analysis of audio and video, uh, it wasn't that wasn't the first time that that noise was reoccurring for about 45 minutes to an hour prior to that. And based on uh, the way that the audio sounds, it sounded as, as if it was moving all around us. That's very strange. I thought so. All right. Now, you know, I know that uh, you said you had some equipment problems while you were up there. We had major equipment problems, uh, which is another uh, a phenomenon that we, we didn't have an explanation for. Um, that, you know, as researchers, uh, and again, I went up there as a ufologist, we, we're looking, I, I want to see anything that can shore up some of the anecdotes. Um, but we go up there with a skeptical eye. You know, the, the first thing that we're trying to do is explain away in any of the anecdotes in, in a conventional manner. For the most part, we were able to do that d during the eight days that we were there. Again, many of the anecdotes have encompassed years. Uh, you, you know, I don't think that we can go up there for just eight days and say, look, we can explain everything. Um, we can explain a good majority of it. Uh, one thing that was bizarre is we did have massive, uh, constant and or intermittent equipment failure. For example, um, we had uh, we had known good walkie-talkies. Uh, we we started out with a pair, fresh batteries. We had between Johnny and I, we had dozens and dozens of batteries of every sorts and sizes. Uh, fresh batteries, walkie-talkies, close proximity, car-to-car, -car, and then they would go dead. Uh, later on, they would seem to come back. Uh, my digital camera was giving symptoms of having a dead battery, and then I went to charge it the next day, and I checked it, and it's, it, it seemed like it had a full charge on it. In fact, it was showing full charge or close to it uh, on the meter that was in it. Uh, we had three or four night vision cameras uh, uh, with constant problems. Those, uh, those of course, never did come back. Uh, all in all, it, it, we had a laptop go down. Um, all in all, we, we were in double digits with equipment failures. Now, you know, one or two things going bad, three things, that kind of thing, that's, you know, that's understandable. That, that could be explained by coincidence. But when you get into double digits and then intermittent problems, it, it, it becomes abnormal and we didn't have an explanation for that. We did go down while we were picking up electronic supplies at the local radio shack, which, by the way, is also the local gun dealer, which I thought was very interesting. Um, Randall, I'm sure, got a kick out of that. He uh, walk into a radio shack, and you've got, you know, it's, they're selling guns in there. Um, the uh, We asked the fellow that owned it if any of his customers had reported any problems with electronic equipment. And he, in fact, said that they do get that. And he felt that that had something to do with the minerals or the geology in, in the mountains. Um, so 
the point being that there that there's a uh, a pattern of uh, of equipment failure in there. Now again, it was speculation on his part as as to the cause, uh, but there is something up in in those Oregon mountains right uh, outside of Lincoln City where these problems exist. Now. We pulled in a, a, a scientist, a friend of Johnny's that he's worked with on other cases, and we explained this to him, and he got pretty excited uh, about the fact that there might be some sort of field uh, there, which, which, which could be a natural occurrence or whatever. And he is in the process. We had hoped to have this done by now, but he's actually making, uh, he's coming up with some equipment, uh, and we're, we're going to try to duplicate this this effect on the supposition that this is some sort of magnetic field, and then we're going to try to duplicate uh, and, and see if we can uh, replicate the scenario and have similar problems to the equipment. Now, if in fact we can do that, that of course that's not going to be a definitive answer. That's going to be one possibility of how this could happen if in fact that there is some sort of magnetic field uh, up in that area. And by the way, we did have magnetometers. Uh, in tow when we were up there, and we didn't get any odd readings uh, for the most part, you know, when we employed that type of equipment. Uh, so that's another head scratcher. You know, we, we could not explain the, uh, the equipment malfunctions. And, and I might add that Bob had several equipment malfunctions. Uh, Jamie also, as you know, had camera issues. So it right. wasn't just us. Um, so that's got us uh, scratching our heads. Now, do I understand correctly that just the salespeople in Radio Shack said, yeah, we know about that area, and there seems to be something that interferes with electronics? The, he didn't go to a specific area. He, he used the mountains in general, and uh, he attributed to the, uh, to the geology, or, and he actually used the term minerals. Uh, he, th that was his belief. Again, that's pure supposition. Uh, but he was aware of it, which is what I thought was important. You know, okay. This, this, in other words, it wasn't a fluke. Locals there are experiencing this problem up in the general vicinity. Well, you know, when uh, Jamie was there, she had that really high-dollar, high-def uh, camera. Right. And it, whatever that orb thing was, it knocked her camera offline for at least 15 minutes. You know, she was like, holy cow. You know, she put it up because... She paid a lot of money for that thing and got out another one. Right. Um, was there? Did you see anything that would give an explanation for what she described to us as orbs? Uh, no, not at all. And and that is still a question mark for me. In fact, I put a call back into Jamie. I haven't heard from her yet, and I want to re-interview her now, having been to the site. Uh, I did talk to Jack Peters uh, since we've got back. Um, because now I, we can relate to the same things. He can tell me where he is on the road, and I, I know the road fairly well. And, uh, you know, in, in hindsight, now that we've done an investigation, it makes much more sense to me. Uh, well, same thing, obviously, with your site, uh, uh, and, and which is why I want to talk to Jamie. I, that, that is completely open, and I have no explanation for what she experienced. Uh, and, yeah, I, I really want to talk to her again on that. Is, uh, the only similarity is just the equipment failure. Well, yeah, be, with what we experienced. Now, we, we, did not, we didn't see any orbs of any kind, uh, uh, any light phenomena that we could not explain. 
so that I, I still find that very fascinating. And the fact that you know she had uh, uh, there was physical interaction. According to her, it knocked her on her ass. Right, and it uh, she felt the tingling or the electric feeling going up her tailbone, up her spine, up her neck, right. and it was right. r- really scary for her. Now, um, what was the other thing I was going to ask? I, I might add, it, we did look into um, bioluminescent uh, organisms, as you did, uh, that are in the forest. They do exist, by the way. Right. Uh, in the Oregon forest, uh, that in fact, that's, there's going to be a portion involved in that in the report. There are also organisms that aren't bioluminescent, but they feed on bioluminescent algae uh, on the trees and so forth and so on, or and or moss. And what happens is they will they will take a piece of that moss and fly away, and so you see this little speck of light. And I might add to give the listeners an idea of of uh, how the light stands up in this dark environment. Uh, I've got a little, uh, on one of the recording digital recording devices that I had, it has a very small LED light on it, probably an eighth of an inch or smaller. And just as a test, I sat that in one of the chairs that we were using when we were in a static position, and I got maybe 20, 30 feet away from it, and I could still see that LED light clearly. Uh, I mean, that's how dark it is. That's the contrast that you have for very small light sources. So if you were to see uh, uh, an insect that, that feeds off one of these bioluminescent uh, either uh, fungi or, or moss or that kind of thing from a distance, uh, the way that that, how dark it is, it, it would be an eerie sight, you know, to see this little light flying uh, uh, away, or particularly if there were several of them. And I do have, we will include photographs uh, you know, of groups of these bugs uh, together, and you know that would look uh, that would look interesting to to the layperson in that darkened environment. Um, and well, of course, there's, you know, there's glowworms. Those, uh, yeah, those the deal the bioluminescent fungi on the tree trunks is really creepy looking if you haven't seen it, and if you don't have some way with night vision to see that it's actually on the trunk, it does look like it's hanging in the air because it's so dark. And it would, it would appear to move because of the kinetic effect if you have no point of reference. If you are in as dark as that place is, and, and having been there so many times during that week, I can see it in my mind's eye. Uh, and if you did see that on a tree, uh, it, you know, it, if you stared at it for a minute or two, it would appear to move. And I'm here to tell you, it would it would be an eerie situation. I mean, I did in fact experience that myself, and so did Johnny. It's really, uh, really strange, strange looking stuff there. But uh, yeah, I with the night vision though, you know, you could see well. Okay, it's not hanging there in the air. The only place these things exist are on the trunks of the trees. So, oh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about the equipment, um, you know, Jamie's camera eventually came back on and, and started functioning right. So did you guys have any permanent damage to? We had permanent damage, and we also had examples of equipment failure that would, uh, that would come back for no rhyme or reason and seem as if it wasn't affected at all. Uh, that happened to one of my digital cameras. Uh, I, you know, I've had this camera for so long, I know the symptoms when the battery starts to go out. Well, when we were in one particular location, I just assumed, well, there goes the battery. 
And uh, and the next day, I was going to charge it, and I thought, well, I'm just going to check it real quick, and it and it had a charge. It showed charge. Uh, no explanation for that. So we had both. We had permanent problems, uh, permanent damage, and then we had intermittent problems uh, where, for seemingly no reason, the equipment would wouldn't malfunction anymore. That happened to four sets of walkie-talkies. Uh, in fact, we used the first uh, two, and we couldn't find anything. You know, the batteries were up, and we thought, well, something's got to be wrong with the walkie-talkies. Went to the second brand-new set, never used, same problem. All four of those, now, there's nothing wrong with them. Uh, they were just intermittent problems while we were at some of these locations, and we have no explanation for that. We have supposition. But, you know, well, how many things were permanently damaged? Um I believe all of the night vision cameras had damage to some degree. Uh, probably Was that four, five? Four, four cameras, I think. Mm. Uh, yeah. God, I hate that that uh, Johnny's uh, equipment had permanent damage. I know that stuff isn't cheap. No, it's not. Uh, but it's also he. It's the nature of the business. You know he. Uh, uh, you know, when you go out and do these investigations, you don't know what you're what you're going into, what you're getting into. Uh, um, well, as you know, I mean, we were out. I, my biggest worry prior to being there was a bear. <laughs> you know, uh, but you know, I didn't see any animals, and that's one thing that really bothered me. Randall didn't see any. Of course, we were there in the fall, not the summer. But it was eerily quiet. No birds. You didn't walk up in the, under any trees and hear, you know, where they're all flying off or uh, but you did find evidence of animals and we're going to talk about that when we come back Um, it's just about time for the break and uh, I think uh, when we come back we'll finish this up if you don't mind Frank and uh, then uh, I'd like to talk about just some current events there's been a lot of things in the news and I know that there are people in the chat room dying to ask some questions And I think Joe may open up the phone lines for us um, maybe the last 30 minutes or so and and let some people that have really followed this. This is, what, our fifth show on this, I think? I I think it's more than that. Might be six, yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, let's take a break. Uh, You're listening to the Joyner Report on UFOParanormalRadioNetwork.com. We'll be back with you in just about eight or nine minutes, so stay tuned. I like your pants around your feet. I like the dance off your knees. I like the way you still say please while you're looking up at me. You're like my favorite fantasy.
to UFO Undercover, Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, with your host, Joe Montaldo, right here on the Paranormal Radio Network. Hi, this is Rob Simone, and I want to tell you about my brand new show here on the Paranormal Radio Network. Each week, I bring you the most interesting people on the planet, the most in-depth discussions, and the most controversial issues. We'll go where no talk show dares to go. Join me every week for the Rob Simone Talk Show here on the UFO Paranormal Radio Network. Jordan Klein and Nick Queen, you are sure to be consumed in the world of ghosts, UFOs, cryptozoology, conspiracy theories, and the unknown. So check out Whiskers Radio every Tuesday night, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 to 7 Central. And give us a call, 1-866-514-1600. Visit us at www.whispersradio.com. Are you interested in a radio program that focuses on the deeper aspects of the UFO topic? Would you like to explore the facts and truths of what ufology and UFO research are all about? Then please join us here every Saturday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central for Eye to the Sky, the UFO Synopsis, with your host, D. Andrew, right here on the UFO Paranormal Radio Network. Remember, UFO research is not a belief system. This radio station broadcasts programs dealing with UFOs, aliens, New Age, and the paranormal. Check out our great lineup. All show times are based on Central Time. This is a live broadcast of the chat and support group for alien abductees on Pal Talk. Thank you for tuning in to the Paranormal Radio Network.
Hi, you've got to listen to ICAR, that's International Community for Alien Research, www.icar1.com. I should know, I'm Irish. A radio program that looks at the UFO topic from a fresh perspective. Sound interesting? Then join us here on the UFO Paranormal Radio Network every Friday evening at 11 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central for The Joyner Report, hosted by journalist and researcher Angela Joyner. Hi, I'm Gia Scott. I'm the host of this really cool little radio program on Tuesday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. It's called The Dawn of Shades. I bring in a wide variety of guests and we talk about all sorts of things. Some of them are authors, some of them are experiencers, but it's all paranormal. Do tune in to the Donna Shades from 7 to 9 p.m. Tuesdays and you can always catch our guest list at www.gscott.com. Worldwide broadcast of the Joiner Report. Now here's your host, Angela Joiner. All right, welcome back to the second hour of the Joiner Report on WPRN FM 105.5 FM and UFO Paranormal Radio Network dot com. Um, the first half and the second half here. I'm talking with Frank Warren of the UFO Chronicles, uh, my good buddy, and we have been talking about his latest uh, research out in Oregon. Uh, it's been uh, really an interesting first hour, and we're going to finish up that conversation, and uh, then we're going to talk about some current events. Uh, thank you for being here, Frank. And each time, man, it's always a lot of fun when we get together. And, and unfortunately, usually when I'm here, you're not. So it's a double treat for me. Well, that's right, because uh, Frank uh, guest hosts for me when I'm away, and I always appreciate that so much. And I get so many good comments from the listeners on what a great job he does and, and how they enjoy his interviews with his guests. So now, um, when we left off, we were talking about I was there in the fall, you were there in the summer, and there was a two-year time span from in between. And uh, we talked, I had uh, reported to you that while I was there, we didn't see any animals except in town. We saw raccoons in town and deer in town. 
But while we were on the mountain, it was very, very quiet. Never heard a bird, never heard an owl hoot, never uh, scared up anything as we were uh, walking along like you would so many times. And uh, Randall and I both noticed that and felt that was unusual. But while you were there in the summertime, you did notice uh, animals, right, Frank? Well, yes and no. I would venture to say that it did strike me. In fact, everybody that I've spoken to that's been there feels the same way. It's eerily quiet uh, for, you know, for being out in the sticks, uh, and it's eerily dark. Um, Now, we did because, you know, prior to getting there and being cognizant of the fact that this is what everybody was describing to me, uh, you know, perhaps I paid double attention. Uh, You know, I I did hear some animals, but it was nothing like you would assume for being in that part of the woods and as thick as the woods are. You would assume that it would be a lot more. Anyway, we did as part of the investigation in in the hopes of catching some sort of phenomena, we did set up a critter cam that we had left there for days. And we did get, uh, in fact, at one point we went down to check the critter cam, and it had moved. <laughs> and so we thought, well, isn't this interesting? And to come to find out, a deer had you know, bumped it with its nose because the thing does emit a red light. And, uh, but the deer went up and kind of nudged it, and, and we did see several deer uh, there on that trail. Mm-hmm. Although I didn't see a deer visibly uh, with my naked eye the whole length of time that we were there. But, uh, but they were there, but again, you would just presume, I mean, I'm from Northern California, and, uh, you know, you would just think you'd hear bugs and crickets and that kind of thing, and you don't hear it there at night. Mm-mm. Uh, very odd. It's really strange. Um, okay, is there anything else you want to add to the Oregon visit, or have well, we covered it all? The thing that I would add is that there are the the, the Oregon investigation isn't over. Um, there there are still things going on. Um, there are other witnesses that we're going to get back to. There is a uh, one witness in particular that we haven't spoken to at all. None of us have, and that is uh, uh, Jamie's cameraman. Now I have put in. I've reached out to him. Uh, via a website that I know he's attached to. I haven't heard anything yet, but I'm looking forward to uh, to getting a hold of him and just to document what he has to say as he was there during Jamie's experience. Um, mm-hmm. And then also I just, having you know the benefit of hindsight, having now been there, I'd like to talk to Jamie again and just go over everything that, that happened with her. Um, but there are, again, you know, uh, I t- you and I both spoke, uh, spoke with Bob recently. Uh, he mentioned to me that he felt that there, uh, there were some things that were going on since we've left. Um, yeah, he, he said he spoke with Vince. Vince said the same thing. Uh, unfortunately, when we were there, we just we did not find anything to shore up any of the anecdotal evidence. Uh, quite the opposite. I believe that we can explain a good majority of it. Uh, and I guess you will keep in touch with Johnny's uh, scientist friend that's working on something for you? Again, yeah. We're not finished. The investigation isn't over. It's, there's still a couple T's that have to be crossed and, and I's that have to be dotted. We're also, uh, there was one contact that we were given uh, in the town 
um, there that we haven't spoke with yet. I, I put in a couple calls, but when we went to the library to do some research there, we were given a name uh, that the individuals at the library said, well, this person has been here for years, uh, very well known in the area, knows a lot about the history, and this is somebody... And we don't want to talk. mention the, the exact area right now. Oh, okay. Uh, well, in any event, we actually went to his place of employment, and he wasn't there at the time, so we're still looking to talk with him. There's a few things that we're, we're still looking into, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it's not completely done as far as the investigation is concerned. Okay. Um, well, let's move on now, and uh, you can come back in another show, of course, and when you're finished with the investigation, hopefully Johnny will come back with you. But uh, let's. Uh, I want to talk about these. Uh, the last two days have just been mind-boggling uh, news-wise. Uh, yesterday we had the NASA press conference. Did you watch that, Frank? I did. I watched the first part of it. Of it, and I kind of had it on in the background while I was working. Um, and I, I really don't think, you know, the, the fodder prior uh, to the press conference itself, of course, everybody's looking for NASA to say, look, we've, you know, we've found microbial life on Mars, or hey, ET's here, we got, you know, we, <laughs> we got a, a signal or something like that. And well, they sort of did hype it that way, you know. Uh, it. There was a big build-up to it, and you know, it it was uh, it was the biggest thing on the internet there for a while, if, for those that pay attention. But and and then after the press conference, I think it pro you know probably let a lot of people down, and some people might not realize the importance of of what they divulged in in regards to life in the universe, which. For those of us that pertain to ufology or adhere to the extraterrestrial hypothesis, I think this is really important. It, what it does is it expands the possibilities uh, of life as we know it. You know, uh, Sagan said it best. You know, he said, in all of science, there are no permanent truths. There's a set of approximations getting closer and closer, and people must always be ready to revise what has been in the past thought to be the absolute gospel truth. Well, that happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what scientists thought was the absolute gospel truth is that there were so many elements. Uh, I mean, this, this was the code that had to be to make up life. Well, they just threw a wrench in, into the whole thing uh, in the sense that instead of one of these elements being phosphorus, uh, they have found uh, microbes uh, up at Mono Lake here in California, which I've been to, by the way, and it's been replaced with arsenic. Well, you know, all the scientists before they acknowledged this and before this research, that was impossible. Yeah, it was so, thought that phosphorus had to be there as a building block. Exactly. So what this does, it, what it shows us is that life strives to survive in the craziest and in, in, uh, most toxic places. And here's an example. And what that means in, 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 just in our search to the, the question, are we alone, this just opens up so many other possibilities uh, exponentially uh, in regards to where life could exist. I mean, 
the other thing that happened in our lifetime is that uh, Robert Ballard, who everybody knows is discovering, finding where the Titanic was, you know, he's a geophysicist, and he discovered that life exists in the deepest, dark depths of the ocean. And one of the three prerequisites for life prior to this uh, this finding and this discovery is that light uh, had to be. You had to have water, you had to have uh, light, and you had to have energy. Otherwise, life could not take place. It could not begin to form. It could not sustain itself. Well, he proved with that discovery uh, that photosynthesis didn't have to take place in order for life to to uh, to exist, these uh, bacteria that live near these volcanic vents are taking uh, uh, the the acids and all the toxins, and they're actually eating it. And there's it's uh, it, its own little ecosystem down there, and then all the other life are eating the bacteria. Well, nobody thought that that was possible. Once again, the bar was raised. The impossible became the possible. So these two things, and again, that changed the math in terms of the possibilities of life in the universe, and not only in the universe, in our solar system. I predict that within the next few years, and technically it's already happened once back in 1986, but there, there, and I really believe that, our scientists already know this, but I think that they're going to admit that there's microbial life on Mars, uh, and that they're going to admit, uh, uh, that there's microbial life in some of these other either moons, say like the moons of Saturn, possibly Titan, this kind of thing, uh, because all the elements are there, uh, uh, you know, for that existence to be there. Uh, and more importantly, now we know it doesn't have to be carbon-based life as we previously knew it, because this just threw a whole wrench in the dynamic. It's complete. All the rules have changed. Well, it, it really was a big discovery, I think. Now, I know some people that think that what was announced yesterday was um, that this team leader, Felisa, hmm, I can't, her last name is not coming to me, uh, that she created an alien microbe, but she didn't. No. She took mud from the Mono Lake which is the lake itself is very high content for arsenic. And she recreated, and the way I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, she recreated that environment in the lab, and that's when she realized there was very little phosphorus there, at least not enough to account for the growth she was seeing in the microbes. So Exactly. And and then then she discovered the arsenic was actually in the DNA. And the RNA, that's correct. That, but she didn't create the microbes. No, not at all. No, no. So, uh, anyway, it is a pretty interesting discovery. And then we've got... It's huge. Uh, it's huge. It uh, yeah. People don't it's, realize it's, how big this is. You know, science doesn't, doesn't stay the same, does it? <laughs> they don't no. always know. Well, th- this goes back to, to Sagan's, uh, one of Sagan's famous statements. You, we've got to be ready to revise it as we learn. We're constantly learning. Uh, and this, this jumped up. They raised the bar big time on this one. I mean, you, you, it goes back to Frank Drake, the founder of SETI, uh, uh, his equation for possible uh, uh, intelligent life in the universe. Well, he based that on, fa- on known factors of the time. This was prior to finding that, that we don't need life or light for life to exist. That uh, in fact a, a new a new word came into the lexicon, in, instead of photosynthesis, it's chemo or chemosynthesis. 
uh, where these things are, are eating basically uh, the chemicals that are coming out of, uh, out of these vents without any light whatsoever. And it's sustenance, and they have it, their own little ecosystem in the dark. Since that time, of course, we found microbes uh, under the ice, you know, uh, hundreds of feet in the ice. We found them in caves where no light exists, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and this is in our lifetime. And, and it, in regards to Drake's equation, I mean, that just jumped that up exponentially because now you don't have to use light as a factor anymore. So the, right. the, the possibility for, for life based on his mathematical equation just went up big time. It went up back in, in, uh, in 77 when Ballard made his discovery, and it went up again yesterday with this latest uh, press conference by NASA. I agree with that. Now, now I want to talk about WikiLeaks. Oh, my gosh. It's all over the Internet. And now, you know, the, they're saying uh, they do have some U.S. Uh, confidential files regarding UFOs. But, like, in the same breath, they're saying, well, you know, we've had a lot of weirdos contact us and blah, blah, blah. So uh, it doesn't really seem like a priority but it does say something, I think, for, for them to admit, well, there are government documents regarding UFOs, period. Like, we knew that, but they always tell us, the government says, no, we're not investigating UFOs. Well, the, 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 the head honcho, WikiLeaks, he, he actually, in the same sentence, he kind of poo-pooed UFOs in general. But yeah, then. At the end of it, he says, you know, but I will say that there are, in fact, references to UFOs. I'm not holding my breath on, on any of that. Uh, in the se you know, it's always been protocol, unbeknownst to many, in regards to the powers that be or the government. Uh, it, it, and I'm sure it's still the same way. We just don't hear about it as much. But it was protocol for when UFO reports would be passed around to all the military factions via uh, various communiques. And back in the day, they were called Twixes. Uh, and then, they, in, in fact, they were also passed on to embassies all around the world. Uh, so, you know, the paper trail for UFOs and UFO reports is long and vast and wide. And it, 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 in, in fact, for that matter, the Air Force, when Project Blue Book was still going, would, would record newspaper clippings. They would keep newspaper clippings. You can go into Project Blue Book right now, and there's just a vast well of UFO reports via newspaper clippings. And oftentimes, uh, investigations, particularly in the early 40s and 50s, were chased down by newspaper reports. So they would rehash stories which, in some instances, were just bogus, uh, because they heard it in a newspaper report. So I'm real reserved as to the, the importance of what's there in these files. You know, maybe, maybe it is something big, but I'm, I'm really not holding my breath. Well, I'm not uh, holding my breath it's going to be something big either. I, I don't really think that that's a, one of their uh, focal points anyway. I, I think it's something they just ran across and they're looking for something else maybe, or I don't know. But uh, it, it's still, you know, if they're, it, we've, we've already been told they're not a national threat. It has nothing to do with national security, uh, blah, blah, blah. Well, then why not release those files? Why are they classified anyway? Well, the, that's the interesting thing. And, of course, it, it makes you think of the Bolander memo 
which point blank stated that anything that did affect national security never ended up in, in blue book anyway. Uh, so th those never saw the light of day and beca because they did affect national security to some degree in, in whatever manner they did. But those, those didn't even go to blue book. They were siphoned off to like AISS or other factions of the Air Force or other branches of the military. Um, you know, so it's an oxymoron, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it, 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 this is just like uh, when the MOD, the Ministry of Defense in the U.K., said, well, we're no longer in the UFO business. Well, look, uh, you, you have to be in the UFO business. You know, if something comes over in your airspace and it's unidentified, it, it, by nature of the military, they have to investigate it. The same thing in the Air Force. Something, it's just like what happened in Stephenville, for God's sakes. You have unknowns flying in close proximity to the presidential ranch. What did they do? The first thing they did was shot off F-15s and F-16s and went after this. Uh, so you can't, to say that we're no longer in the UFO business is ridiculous. Uh, it's it's the military's mandate to protect the country, for God's sakes, whether it be here or the U.K. So, uh, in fact, I wrote an article about that when the when the MODs publicly stated, well, we're no longer in the UFO business. That's ridiculous. You know, something flies over the U.K. and, and it's unidentified, <laughs> you know, they're right you back. you got to look at it. But sure you do. It's their mandate, you know. Well, so I wanted us to be able to talk about uh, Dick Cheney, too, because that really blew my mind. But I don't think we're going to have time because I do want to give people some time to uh, call in and ask some questions. The number that you call is 504-273-7379. And uh, this is my first time to take uh, call-ins. Um, if you have a question for Frank or I, would love for you to call in. Um, it is to ask us questions, though. It, uh, it's not to hear your story about what you've done with UFOs. It's, let's try to stay on topic and... Uh, and uh, you know, if you want to talk about current events, that's fine. Or if you want to ask about Oregon, that's fine, too. So we'll see if we get any calls. And uh, until then, maybe we can talk about Cheney, huh? I heard somebody knew where he got his uh, horns trimmed. <laughs> <laughs> really? Who is I'm Barber? So, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I just had to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Well, you know, that is just, that kind of blew my mind. I just don't – I kind of looked back on some things. That, you know, Cheney, uh, supposedly the Nigerian uh, officials are going to put out a warrant for him for uh, uh, Interpol to pick him up for uh, bribery charges. Evidently, they have arrested quite a few people in uh, Nigeria last week, and evidently they're singing like little birdies over there, yeah. telling whatever they know, and it amounts to $180 million worth of bribery. Not just Cheney, you know, some of those other bigwig old people, too, are uh, being looked at, but uh, $180 million worth of briberies uh, landed a $6 billion contract for a pipeline, and then uh, a little later... Oh, Cheney becomes uh, Bush's running mate. I'm going, yeah. hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Corruption in politics, hmm. Do you remember a time when uh, an American official uh, was about to be have a warrant out with uh, for Interpol to pick him up? 
You know, we talked about that off air earlier today, and I don't off the cuff. I the answer to that's no, but I'm sure something similar to that has happened over the years. Uh, just given all the corruption that's been in government, you know, off and on, and various things that have happened, um, I can't think of anything right off the cuff. But I'm sure something similar has happened. I mean, well, you know, o- I, I o- think omitting, of Nixon, Nixon resigning <laughs> before he got arrested. You know, right? right. Well, uh, omitting Nixon. Huh? I said omitting Nixon. Well, you know, he resigned before he was going to be impeached, or right. You know, he was fixing to be in hot water, but uh, or was in hot water. But it's just kind of mind-blowing to me that uh, uh, Interpol might be picking up a former uh, vice president. I'm sure that um, he'll have people to figure his way out of it somehow. Um, I don't know. Can Obama pardon things like this? Uh, he can, yeah. Even if it's uh, something that took place in another if country? If you're talking about Cheney, I think we'd see a pig fly first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, who knows? Um, Obama, is, uh, he might be changing his ways after the November election. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. Well, I, I think he already has changed his ways. <laughs> he doesn't want any more shellacking. Yeah, that's, this is true. Yeah. So, um, well, let's look. We're not getting any calls. So um, I was just uh, looking in the chat room here. Um are you sending me a message, Frank? Do you see that? <laughs> no, I do see where you're true. I can't find it. Just a second here. Hmm. Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um Oh well, now they're telling me in the in the chat room somebody's calling, but there's no answer. So uh, the phone isn't here. So I hope Joe didn't uh, take a break to go eat a sandwich or something. So uh, anyway, it's just been kind of interesting. All of this that's been going on in the in the news to me. Of course, I'm sort of a news junkie anyway. So uh, as, as I am. <laughs> I just couldn't read it all fast enough. Uh, anything else uh, piqued your interest in the news? Well, the well, one of the things that's happened just recently, of course, was the the uh, Hastings press conference with all the former missileers uh, on that. I I thought that that was a significant event, and and of course, when I hosted for you last time, we had. Uh, uh, Bob Salas on along with uh, Colonel Arnie, uh, Dwin Arnie Arneson, and I just thought that was real fascinating. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, Inch, I'm going to grab some notes real quick. If you could just hold the fort for a second. Okay. Um, Take a question or two from the, uh, from, uh, the chat. <laughs> All right, no problem. Um, I don't know. It, it just seems like there's a lot of things going on all at one time. Um like uh, Frank said with this uh, NASA thing yesterday and and that announcement uh, changes the building blocks of life as we knew it. I think he's right. Within our lifetime, we may be um, hearing from NASA or some organization that, yes, indeed, there is life on Mars. There's this certain particular kind of microbe or something. 
Now, I know a lot of my listeners would rather not be hearing about uh, microbes. They would much rather uh, hear about a, a walking, uh, flying, communicating, intelligent being. But um, I don't know if we'll see that in our lifetime or not. Uh, I don't think we're going to see any kind of disclosure from our government unless, you know, it's, it's pushed by someone like this organization is uh, WikiLeaks. Um, I kind of have mixed feelings about WikiLeaks because I do not want to see anything released that would endanger an American soldier or civilian in any way. You know, I just... Oh, I, that would just be awful should he release something. And I really don't think they would do it uh, purposely. But since they might know, might not uh, know all the ins and outs of things like they think they do, they could accidentally release something that would have one of our soldiers killed or a civilian um, or even a CIA agent or somebody uh, killed. So... That part of it worries me. But, boy, do I really want to know about the banks. He has uh, uh, said in January he has uh, a release on a financial institution. A lot of people have speculated that that is Bank of America. Uh, we don't really know uh, if it is or not. But uh, it, uh, it's been interesting. Um, Frank, are you back? No, I guess he's not. I was uh, hearing some rattling like a, a microphone, so I thought maybe he was back. Um, that might have been typing, Angela. Oh, Lil? Yep. All right, you got through. Yeah, Joe, Joe told me to go on the Skype line. Okay. Well, um, ladies and gentlemen, you're hearing from Lillian. In uh, New York, did you have a question? Yeah, um, I was looking at Frank's website today, and I saw that he had um, Jim Carrion's blog posted on there. And I was wondering what Frank thought about Jim Carrion's new group. Okay. Well, just hang on, and he should be back here in a second. He said he was going to get some notes. Um Okay, yeah, I I have seen, uh, I know that Frank has uh, posted some of uh, James Carrion's work and writing on uh, UFO Chronicles. And for those of you that might not know, uh, James is the former uh, national or international director of MUFON. And uh, amid much controversy... I think it was about in February or March, he resigned, and uh, he's gone his own way now. And what's the name of his group, Lillian? Uh, it's uh, C-U-T. I can't remember what it stands for. C-U-T, cut. Yeah, cut. Okay. Frank, are you back? I'm back with you. My apologies. All right. This is Lillian from New York, and she Hi. has a question for Hi, you Lillian. about... Yeah, about James. Go ahead. I was wondering uh, what you felt about James and his new group, Cut. Uh, 
just your feelings in general, I guess. I think, uh, you know, we publish a lot of uh, James's articles, and it's kind of a double-edged sword for me. I, I uh, well, let, let me put it to you this way: I, I appreciate his approach in regards to ufology, um, but I've disagreed with with some of his conclusions. For example, you know, he wrote a lengthy piece about Roswell and how that came about in his opinions as to what that was in his explanations. Uh, I certainly appreciate the diligence that he put into it, but I just disagree. I, I think he's way off uh, in regards to his conclusions. Um, but I, I like the approach. I like a refreshing approach, and, and, and he's certainly not, not afraid to speak his mind. And I also appreciate that. You know, he uh, he will dig in and, and look into these things, but we we do disagree on on some of the conclusions that he's come up with. Uh, he did. We just recently published that piece on uh, on WikiLeaks, and he makes a great argument in that in the sense that uh, how certain factions could uh, could leak bogus information in there. They they could literally feed bogus information to WikiLeaks, and, and if it passes WikiLeaks muster, it gets published. Um, and that that's a plausible argument. I, I get that. Now, he did, he used a frame, a, a UFO example uh, in that, and, and there's a little bit of truth to what he says uh, in, in the sense that, the, you know, the CIA at one point uh, kind of pumped up UFO sightings back when they were doing U-2 flights and whatnot, and there's evidence to shore that up. That, of course, does not explain all of ufology. But, you know, so he does make some plausible arguments. I know a lot of people are very upset with James Carrion, and, uh, and some people feel that righteously so. Um, he, it's, there's never a dull moment lately with James out there, that's for sure. <laughs> Thank you very much, Frank. Nice, nice talking to you. Lillian. Lillian? Yes. Before you go, I know that you were interested in that uh, New York sighting in October that a lot of people uh, thought were balloons. Some people say they were balloons. Yes. Can you tell us how uh, that investigation came out? Um, not at the moment, but uh, MUFON did get two reports on it. And I got both of them assigned to me. They're both assigned to me. All right. So maybe you could let us know later? Yeah, probably in a week or two. Okay. Thank you. Lillian, before you go, <laughs> I have a question for you. Okay. Do, do you remember the sighting which actually got local uh, press shortly? I think it was... Uh, um, 2002, it was shortly after 9-11, where a UFO was sighted and NORAD actually dispatched interceptors and chased it. Do you recall that? No, actually between like 1990 and 2007, 2008, uh, I, was, I took a hiatus from ufology. I see so I don't know any of the sightings uh, during that time. This, I think, 
I think this was the beginning of 2002. If you if you get some time, we might even have a blurb on it at the UFO Chronicles. But they literally NORAD caught this thing. In fact, there was videotape. One of the local uh, Fox affiliates aired it locally. It, it never got national press. It was choked off, uh, and then it kind of went away. And I, I always thought that that was an interesting case because there was, in fact, video footage of it. And they, did, by the way, they chased this UFO, and they didn't catch it. I mean, it just zoomed out of there, and it was gone. Hmm. Oh, that sounds very interesting. Yes, it does. Well, thanks for calling in, Lillian. Okay, thank you. All right, now, now let's take a question from the PalTalk Virtual Auditorium. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Irene in the UK. And um, I must have been typing or something, or maybe nobody mentioned. I've been hearing about this WikiLeaks, and I have asked in text, what is this WikiLeak? What has been leaked? What will be leaked? What is speculated that might be leaked? What is it now? Somebody probably has said, but I've probably been typing something or reading something in text. Another thing is regarding Obama. Uh, President uh, Obama, Barack Obama. Um, how come he hasn't made it legal for black people to join the KKK? And will there be a chitlin in every part? Thank you. Okay, well, we'll just let that go. What about the next question? In the chat room. Looks like Sky. Hey, this is a really great show tonight. Quite an act, a lot of activity tonight. And uh, The question is uh, for you, Frank. Uh, what is Bob Pitchell's reaction to um, you finding a pretty plausible explanation for some of the things that people are seeing? Um, it seems to me that Bob Pitchell, I don't know him personally, but do you think he might be elaborating or, 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 or sort of adding things to the story? Because he goes into detail about seeing creatures walking around and seeing other dimensions and this sort of thing. Is he able to accept the fact that some of this stuff is, is not actual um, paranormal stuff, but it's explainable? I just wanted to ask you that, if he's willing to accept it. And that's all I wanted to ask. But great show tonight. Very great show tonight. You know, I guess they can't hear us. I wasn't aware of that, Frank. I didn't realize that we were only going to get it one way. I thought we could have a conversation with people. But that is Skyman. He's in the uh, virtual auditorium. Oh, okay. Well, to, to answer the question, uh, Bob is a very enthusiastic witness, uh, to say the least. You know, bear in mind, uh, with, with the things that Bob feels that he's seen and things that he's related to us, you know, he went and he literally flew out to Texas to, to speak with Angela and a, a small group of people um, and it, it affected everybody so much 
in, in terms of him getting his point across, uh, that that group, you know, put the funds together, and Angela got the short or long straw, depending on how you want to look at it, and then flew back to uh, to do sort of a, a preliminary investigation. And, you know, we've become friends with Bob. I've known him now for a couple of years. Uh, you know, he's a decent man. I know his family. We stayed at his house, etc. cetera. Um, yeah, he is a very enthusiastic witness. Uh, there, it's, there's no doubt, and in, in, in fact, I think that he probably learned some things when we did our investigation there uh, in, ref, in contrast to conventional lights. Um, he, he has, as you mentioned, claimed to have seen entities and beings. In all honesty, I saw no evidence of that while we were there. Point blank, period, none. There was nothing that we found in that short period of time that we were there, uh, you know, to, to shore up the anecdote. These incidents that have been taking place with Bob, as he claims, have been going on for, you know, a long stretch of time. Um, I, I know for a fact that some of these things are just misidentifications in regards to lights, and I think that we've shown that to Bob, and he's learned a little bit from that. Uh, some of these other things in terms of beings, I can only speak to the time that we were there, and that didn't happen. Uh, I, that does not change his mind. He still stands by the, his previous statements of, of seeing beings, that kind of thing. Uh, none of that. He doesn't waver on any of that. And anybody that uh, is followed the case, you, you have to make up your own mind on that. Um, I try to take Bob at his word for what he said. Uh, obviously, we wouldn't have taken it this far if we didn't think he was serious. You know, we would have never gone out there and done the investigation. Angela would have never gone out there. Uh, I know he has misidentified conventional things based on our research, but, but he still stands behind these other things, which we have no proof of. And that's where we stand, you know, at the moment. I hope that answered the question to some degree. If it didn't, he can put his, uh, he can let them know and, and ask another or something. But, you know, um, it is sort, it is a compelling story. And, and, and when you add in Jamie McDowell, Jack Peters, the others, you know, that, uh, yeah, it's uh, not just Bob. That's true, and we've said that all along. There's multiple witnesses. And, you know, you and I talked about this, and we've thrown around the hoax words from the very beginning. If the, if the question is, do I think Bob is trying to pull a grandiose hoax, I don't, I don't believe that. I believe Bob uh, believes exactly what he's saying. Uh, you know, I don't think that there's any devious in, in, intent or Machiavellian motives or anything like that. Uh, yeah, he is not. He's not the most objective witness in the world, but oftentimes when people have had, uh, in my experience in ufology, when somebody has uh, life-changing events, they become more open to other things, and, and oftentimes you do lose your ob objectivity. I mean, we all know. I mean, you, you can talk to Stephenville uh, witnesses that that saw the, the thing up close and personal, or you can talk to Phoenix Lights witnesses. Uh, where these things have literally changed your life. I mean, Angela did not see the Phoenix Lights uh, UFO on her own, but just being a product of that, that literally has changed your life. Right, Ange? 
Yeah, because uh, even though I didn't see, you said Phoenix Lights, Frank, I mean, Stephenville. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, <laughs> where, where am I? Who am I? I didn't see what everyone else saw on January the 8th, 2008. Yes, it affected me profoundly. My life has not and probably never will be the same because I knew that people were telling me the truth. It really made me think twice about what was going on, whereas before anything I had ever heard about, you know, was way more than an arm's length away. It wasn't up close to me in my community. Right. And uh, it was if you heard about something, it was more or less, you know, like, it's kind of like being desensitized, I think. You know, uh, these days I turn on the news and I hear something about a murder or whatever. I don't even blink an eye because you hear it all the time. You just go looks, right on. Looks like Sky has a follow-up question. Oh, okay. Uh, let's hear from Sky, Joe. Can you get him on with us, please? Yeah, just really quick. Uh, uh, I'm not trying to belittle Bob by any ways. I, I just want to ask that question. Now, moving on to another question. Uh, have you ever talked to Johnny Anonymous about his investigation at the Mount Adams, uh, James Gilliland area? And have you, have you considered going up there and doing an investigation? Because I, I guarantee if you go there, you will see a UFO or what, whatever you uh, want to call it. It's unidentified. But uh, I, I just wanted to ask you if, if you, what your thoughts on that whole region. Because it is sort of close to Oregon, the Oregon border, and I just didn't know if they're you guys took that area into consideration. That's that's all I have. Great show tonight. Really, really good show. And I'll I'll, uh, I'll uh, free up the uh, microphone. Thanks, guys. There, and he did have a very shaking, uh, frightful, quite frankly, experience. Um, that he shared with me. In fact, he videotaped himself while this was going on, and it was very, uh, it was a very personal, uh, intense experience. Um, and again, I hate to use the word paranormal, but it, it, it doesn't fit into a ufological category. This was more of a paranormal experience, and he was up there with uh, the ATS crew. Uh, while another, while a uh, television production company was in there filming. Now, I will say this: I have no doubt that what what Johnny uh, they, they had sightings while they were there. They, they they did have UFO sightings while they were there. Johnny had a unique experience unto himself, which is just it's inexplicable, uh, and and it there's no other way to to define it or categorize it other than being paranormal. I do know that there have, much like the Oregon Bob thing, that there have been a lot of conventional things that have been misidentified. There was, a, In fact, there was a video floating around on YouTube not too long ago from that area that was uh, e easily identified as a bug to the trained eye opposed to the layman's eye. There's a lot of arguments going around. Oh, my God, they filmed a UFO. Well, and I, I just had to laugh because it was a bug. <laughs> and, and, this, and remember, I don't actually go into the 95%, 5% numbers, uh, but let, I'll just, that'll be a given. Uh, let's just say that, that that's an accurate number. 
of UFO sightings after investigation uh, are are explainable. They are of conventional means, uh, conventional craft or natural phenomena, that kind of thing. It's that small sliver that we're interested in. So, you know, when we see all these things right off the bat, the better majority of those are going to have, uh, you know, a conventional explanation, like that one that happened to be a bug. <laughs> on the video from uh, Gillian. But those were two good questions, Sky. We certainly appreciate it. And I think with that, we are out of time. And, Sky, we do appreciate those good questions. It's always a pleasure. And um, with that, I think that we will close it down for tonight. Frank, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you working so hard on the Oregon investigation. And uh, next week, we're going to have Larry Lowe on. And some of you guys have heard him before. Uh, he's the Phoenix Examiner. And uh, we will see you then next Friday night. Good night, folks. Good night, everyone. Ah, oh, crackling rosy geet on board. <laughs>